The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave to them. You answered them, O Lord, our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Okay, while I'm looking for our uh, verses today, which is in Exodus chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 8, um, two things to announce uh, to the church, people that are streaming online and also uh, those who watch on YouTube. Uh, the first one is that we have visiting today uh, Dave and Sarah, and they are the people that were dearest to Kelly Carlin, which many of you may have remembered uh, she died. She was in our church here, uh, um, and a couple years ago, she uh, she passed away. And uh, today is her birthday, and so they've come. Uh, she came down from Sarah came down from Tampa from college, and uh, uh, so she's um, attending church day with Dave. And they, they all lived in the same house together. And uh, so we're missing her. And if you remember her, she never, never missed a church service in all the years that we were on the beach and then when we came in here with two exceptions and both of them were because of her daughter being in a military parade and other than that she never missed a service so very wonderful to uh, have memories of her and uh, the good thing about Jesus is that we'll see her and hopefully soon once again uh, and one other thing the second thing I want to announce is that um, I, I was sent this by somebody and I just wanted to thank them publicly for that it was sent to me and um, I, I had mentioned that I have a copy of Young's Concordance, which goes all the way back to the original publishing of it. And uh, it's been in my family forever. And it falls apart when I open it to study it. And so somebody sent this to me. And I just wanted to say thank you very, very much. So I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. I just made a comment that mine is falling apart. And they were good enough to say, well, then keep that one as a keepsake. And uh, we'll send you this so you can use that. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, our sermon verses are... Leviticus 8, verses 14 through 36. 8, 14, and he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, he burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar, and he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 22, and he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also, he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering. They were a consecration offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 30, then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire, and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days, until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you, as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded you to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord, so that you may not die, for so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. I know that's a ton of verses. And uh, a lot of the symbolism I'm just going to skip over today because we've done it in other sermons and I'm going to give you kind of a, a, a you know, a, a general idea of what's going on in some verses, but we're not going to get into the detail we were because we've seen that in the past. <clears throat> but the minute and detailed instructions for building the sanctuary, if you remember from Exodus, were followed up with careful and precisely recorded construction details of it. This was to ensure that everything the Lord had commanded was followed through with, exactly as he specified. The reason this was so important is because in the book of Hebrews, we're told that the earthly things were copies and shadows of the heavenly things. The same is true with the minute and detailed instructions for the ordination of Aaron and his sons. They were given in Exodus, and now in Leviticus, we are being given the careful and precisely recorded adherence to what was previously laid out. Again, each detail points to Christ, and so in order to protect the typology, everything is being detailed for a second time. God guarded these pictures of his son so that when he arrived, there would be no doubt that he was the fulfillment of them. And yet, because of the laziness of the church, 
How few ever take the time to look into these things? Thousands of years of meticulous work safeguarding them is pretty much ignored by the church that Christ came to establish. We're too busy claiming prosperity and infighting over minutiae to bother with such wonderful pictures of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But for those who are willing to carefully and methodically follow through page by page through this treasure that we call the Bible, there is an endless stream of wonder and excitement. Claiming prosperity in Jesus' name is only as effective as your next trip to the hospital or your next loss of job. When those things come about, it suddenly dawns on you that the preacher's words were a complete waste of time. And fighting with others in the church over silly little pet peeves results in the same headaches and heartaches that you will find at work or at home. In the end, nobody gains from such things. How much better to stick with proper doctrine and a close and a personal fellowship with those who bear Christ's name. Our text verse today comes from Isaiah chapter 40. It's verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. The scroll of the book is simply filled with Christ. The words Isaiah penned about the coming Messiah are proved true every time that we come to another passage and search him out. He is there calling out for us to find him. And yet at the same time, everything we read about here is literally true. The Lord used real people in real circumstances to give us these wonderful tastes of what lay ahead when he would come and reveal himself to us. And further, from these types and pictures come moral lessons that show us how only the antitype can truly satisfy our souls. With the law mediated by fallible men, there can only be a fallible hope. But when the infallible man arrived, he brought with him a perfect and unsullied hope. As we finish up the ordination of Aaron today, let's remember that. Everything God is showing us leads to a better hope where we can come to God in full confidence that our prayers are heard our offerings are accepted, and our mediator will perfectly fulfill his duties for us. Keep this in mind. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have four thoughts for you today. The first is the bull for the sin offering. It's verses 14 through 17. Verse 14, and he brought the bull for the sin offering. This bull here was first ordered in Exodus 29, verse 3, when the Lord gave the instructions to Moses concerning this ordination. It was then mentioned in verse 2 of this chapter. The bull, which pictures Christ, is now brought forward to be the sin offering for the priests. Verse 14 going on, Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. In this act, we have seen already the same thing for other sacrifices. The bull takes on the curse which they deserve for their sins, and it is transferred to it. The par, or bull, comes from the word parar, which carries the meaning of defeat or to make void, although it can be variously translated. The picture of Christ is that he defeated the devil, making void that which the devil had wrought. Thus, Christ can be the mediator between God and man. 
For Aaron and his sons, with their symbolic transfer of their sins to the bull, the animal is now accursed and it must die. Thus we have what is known as a vicarious substitute. In type, the bull is Christ who knew no sin but was made sin for Aaron and his sons so that they might be righteous before God. The sin is symbolically removed from the one and transferred to the other. It is life for life. And therefore, verse 15, and Moses killed it. It is Moses who kills the bull, not Aaron. He is acting as the priest pro tempore during the ordination, but he is also a man born under sin. This shows us the fallibility and the temporary nature of the Aaronic priesthood. In type, we see only a shadow of the new covenant where the perfect Christ voluntarily gave his own perfect life. Thus, he is the mediator of a much better covenant. Verse 15 continues, Then he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. This was directed in Exodus 29, verse 12. Once the bull was bled out, it would be a confirmation of the death of the animal, for the life is in the blood, as it says in Leviticus 17, verse 11. With this proof of the death of the substitute, then some of its blood was to be put on the horns of the altar with his finger. The horns, or carnot, of this altar are the place of mercy and safe refuge. Further, horns are a symbol of strength, for the blood to be placed on them signified the granting of mercy and the allowance of safety from the wrath which had been transferred to the bull. As there are four horns which point to the four corners of the earth, it further symbolizes the power of the act to fully save and to cleanse the sinner. David, King David understood this when he wrote these words in the 18th Psalm. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I trust, my shield and the horn, the carnote of my salvation, my stronghold. Another point is that Moses is specifically told to apply the blood with his finger. The word etzba, or finger, comes from another word, tseba, which indicates dyed material, and thus one gets the idea of grasping something. Therefore, the finger is that which accomplishes a task. The creation is said to be the work of the Lord's fingers in the 8th Psalm. Thus, in this verse, the mercy, the refuge, and the remission of the sins is granted by God, but it is accomplished by the work of the mediator's fingers. In the type, we look forward to the antitype, where the Lord is the purifier. However, the blood is not only applied to the altar to expiate or take away the sins of Aaron and his sons, but it is also to purify the altar itself. This is explained in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Verse 15 continues, And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. The altar has already been consecrated by the sprinkling with the anointing oil in verse 11. However, atonement is still needed to be made for it because it was made by sinful human hands. An inanimate object is not free from such defilement, and atonement was needed for it. With the blood of the bull, the altar is now sanctified so that the atonement can be made with it. This is only a shadow of Christ then. Unlike the altar which needed to be sanctified, Christ, the true altar, sanctified himself so that our lives as gifts to God might be acceptable to him. Here's what he says in John chapter 17. 
as you sent me into the world, this is Jesus speaking to the Father, I have also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. As astonishing as it may seem, everything is pointed to Christ. The altar points to Christ. The anointing oil pointed to Christ. The bull points to Christ. The shed blood points to Christ. Aaron is typical of Christ. Every detail has and continues to point to him. Each provides another aspect of his person and of his work. Verse 16, then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. This was explained to Moses in Exodus 29, verse 16. The symbolism of these fat parts has been explained in other offerings, but each points to Christ. They represent the abundance of the very deepest parts of Christ the man. Fat is the abundance and health of life. The fat on the entrails signifies the inner purity of Christ. The fatty lobe on the liver represents his emotions and his feelings, and the two kidneys with their fat signify his mind and his reasoning. These were offered to Lord by fire, burning as if incense, as the word denotes, because they symbolize Christ's most intimate aspects. They are the very substance of who he is and thus are returned to the Lord by fire. Verse 17, but the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, he burnt with fire outside the camp. The rest of the animal was taken outside the camp and burned with fire. Normally, unless the blood of the animal for a sin offering was sprinkled inside of the holy place, the animal would be eaten by the priests. But even though the bull's blood was not taken there, Nothing of it was to remain, and none of it was to be eaten. Moses is not a legally consecrated priest, and the animal was under a curse because of the sins of Aaron and his sons. Thus, for them to eat it would be symbolic of them retaking the sin into themselves. Instead, it was to be returned to the old order of things where sin remained. In its place, those for whom the animal died would be reckoned under the new order of things. They would be new men with a symbolic new nature, cleansed from their defilement. Verse 17 continues, as the Lord had commanded Moses. The words are given to show complete obedience to the word of the Lord, which was given to Moses on Mount Sinai for this ordination process. Every detail points to Christ. And so in order to show that the typology was adhered to, these words are now given. The bull is slain, his blood poured out. The proof of the death is evident in the bowl of blood. But for that bull, don't shed a tear or pout. Sin is atoned for by the crimson flood. There, on the cross of Calvary, hangs a man. For the sins of mankind was shed his blood. We ask, can it truly atone for sin? God says, yes, it can. And so we plunge ourselves neath that crimson flood. And through his death, our high priest, he came to be when he went behind the veil and presented his blood. He did this because of God's love for you and for me. And so let us tell the world of the marvelous crimson flood. Our second thought today is the ram for the burnt offering. It's verses 18 through 21. Verse 18, then he brought the ram as the burnt offering. Of the two rams for the ordination, one was selected as a burnt offering. This first one is now brought forward by Moses. Verse 18 going on, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. This was instructed in Exodus 29, verse 15. 
as seen before, the placing of the hands on the head of the animal for a burnt offering is not for confession of sin, but as a way of surrendering oneself wholly and completely to the Lord. Only after the atonement and purification can a person be considered as an acceptable offering to the Lord. In this, they are dedicating themselves as if being living sacrifices. Verse 19, and Moses killed it. Verse 19 was instructed in Exodus 29, verse 16. The Hebrew does not say Moses. Rather, it says he killed it. But Exodus 29 specifically says that Moses was to perform the task. Further, the next clause names Moses specifically. Therefore, like the bull of the sin offering, it is he who kills the ram, not Aaron. He is fulfilling the job of priest pro tempore during the ordination until it is over. Once complete, the tasks will, from that time on, belong to the line of Aaron alone. Verse 19 continues, then he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Here it says, and splashed Moses the blood. The blood is not sprinkled, but it is cast forth upon the altar. It is symbolic of the complete and voluntary surrender of the priests to die while yet living. When we look at what has transpired so far, we see a logical order. The bull was sacrificed for sin. This is then followed by the ram, which is in picture a complete surrender of the priest's will to God. This follows with Paul's words of Romans chapter 6, where it says this, For he who has died, think of the sin offering, has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Think of the ram offering. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, the bull, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the ram. This ram then symbolizes what Paul calls in Romans a living sacrifice to God. It sounds contradictory, a living sacrifice but it is pictured here in the death of this ram for the ongoing consecration of Aaron and his sons. Verse 20, and he cut the ram into pieces and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. This was instructed in Exodus 29, 17. The dividing of the animal is to ensure that it will fully burn and that nothing of it would be left over. If it was not so divided, its legs would hang over the sides of the altar and they'd smolder, but they'd never be consumed. Verse 21, then he washed the entrails and the legs in water. The inner parts of the animal are washed in order to reflect the inner purity of Jesus Christ, in whom there is no defilement. The legs are washed because they are part of the animal which picks up the worldly defilement as it walks. As Christ was without any such worldly defilement, the washing is done in anticipation of his perfect life given over wholly to God. Each step is meticulously ordered and then performed in anticipation of Jesus Christ who would come 1,400 years later. Verse 21 continues, And Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. The entire ram was burnt right there on the altar. The expiation of sin is not needed as that was accomplished by the bull. Because of this, the animal is considered as an acceptable substitute to be offered to the Lord on behalf of those it replaced. Such a burnt offering, without any associated defilement, represented Christ's perfect self-sacrifice. For this reason, it was entirely acceptable to God. 
The word for burn here is katar. It's a word we've seen many times before, again and again, pointing to Jesus Christ. It signifies making something fragrant through fire. The entire animal was such an offering. In picture, the ram here signifies the holy, acceptable offering of Jesus Christ to God on behalf of Aaron and his sons. In the bull, he was seen as the sin offering which was burned outside the camp. But in the ram, he is seen as the whole and complete perfection of every good deed offered to God on the brazen altar. As the ram is given on behalf of the priests, it means that the execution of their tasks will be pleasing to God because of what the offering pictures, Christ's work. In reality, what the priests do as they minister is accepted because of the work of another, because of Jesus Christ. A sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, an offering made of our lives and our work. We shall be obedient to him and to his word. No duty that is proper shall we set aside or shirk. As Christ our Lord gave himself for us, we should also walk in love and so be a suitable offering. Let us endeavor to follow our Lord Jesus and act in emulation of his eternal proffering, offering ourselves and our bodies as a living sacrifice, people living out our lives holy and acceptable to God. Because for our sins, Christ Jesus paid the price, and now it is our duty to be circumspect in this life that we trod. Our third thought today is the second ram. It's verses 22 through 29. Verse 22, and he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. The Hebrew says the ram, the second. This is then followed up with the words el ha milium, or the ram of the consecration, because in the acts associated with it, this portion of the consecration of Aaron and his sons will be complete. The word milu, or consecration, comes from the word male, which means to fill. Thus, we can call this the ram of the filling. If you can see it, there is another picture of the work of Christ now. For Aaron and his sons, there is first the atonement of sins, then the giving of the life over to God, and then the filling of the Spirit. Although these three things occur simultaneously in the believer when we call on Jesus, they are logically ordered in each of these three offerings. The consecration of Aaron and his sons is what occurs in each person who comes to Jesus Christ, pictured in each aspect of this rite of ordination. Verse 22 continues, Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. This ram is essentially a peace or a fellowship offering. But because it is a part of the consecration, there's more to it than a normal peace offering. The laying of the hands on the head of the bull was for the transfer of sin. The laying of the hands on the first ram was as an individual offering himself wholly to the service of God. The laying on the hands of this animal is to signify the receiving of authority to serve. Each offering is logically noted in order to show the process of acceptable service to God. Verse 23, and Moses killed it. Again, Moses is not named in this clause, only in the next. But it is Moses who accomplishes the task. And because it is Moses, the temporary nature of the Aaronic priesthood is once again highlighted. A fallen man, Moses is, cannot institute an infallible priesthood. Verse 23 continues, he also took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. The returning of the blood to Aaron signifies his acceptance as high priest and the granting of authority as such. 
The blood symbolizes life. The shed blood thus symbolizes death. He now symbolically dies to self and henceforward is to live for God. That each point of application is on the right side has meaning in and of itself. The right side is the side of strength, blessing, authority, honor, judgment, wisdom, cleansing, and so forth. Applying the blood to the right includes, in some measure, each of these. First, the blood is applied to the tenuk, or the lobe of the ear. This signifies obedience in the sense of spiritual hearing. He was to heed the divine voice, which would speak to him, either through the law or through God's prophets. He was to be consecrated to this hearing of the word in the sense of applying it to his life. Following this, it was to be applied to the bohen, or thumb of the right hand. This word comes from a root, which means thick. Therefore, it is the thick part of the hand, and thus the thumb. The finger symbolizes human activity. Here, the thumb represents the whole hand. His hand, thus meaning spiritual activity, was to be set apart to God, to holiness, and to only that which was sanctified. He was to be a high priest, ready to not only hear the divine voice, but to respond to it through daily activity. And finally, the blood was applied to the bohen, or the big toe of his foot. It is the same word as thumb. As the big toe is the thick appendage, it received the application of blood as representative of the whole foot. It symbolized that he was to walk in paths of holiness, directing his steps towards God in the race which is set before him. This verse, with these three principal points of application, is actually explained by Paul many times in the New Testament, but it is well summed up in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul writes and think of what we just saw. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, the ear, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, the toe, and being fruitful in every good work, the thumb, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's all something that's prefiguring something else later in the Bible. In the application of the blood to these three extremities, there is the sense that Aaron's entire life was to be enclosed in the service of God. From the head to the toe and from the hand to the foot, he was sanctified as an acceptable high priest. However, there is the truth that even with this application, he still could not hear, understand, serve, or walk in a truly proper manner. And as the blood did nothing but symbolize something else, it only looked forward in type and in shadow. As Aaron only pictured the true high priest Christ, then this is only a foreshadowing of the one who would literally fulfill these ancient images. The history of the Aaronic priesthood is one filled with fallible men who often made disastrous decisions. Christ, though, came as a more excellent priest with a more excellent ministry, which is established on better promises. Verse 24, Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. The same procedures which picture the same things were next followed for the sons. As Aaron pictures Christ, the high priest, these sons of Aaron 
picture us who follow Christ in the priestly duties of the church age. Verse 24 continues, And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. All of the rest of the blood was scattered around the altar. The reason here is twofold. The first is an indication of the willingness of these men to perform their priestly duties. And the second is the acceptance of that willingness by God. They have had their sins atoned for. They have offered themselves up wholly to God. And now there is a joint acceptance of their duties. Verse 25, then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. These special parts of the animal, which signify Christ's most intimate aspects, meaning the very substance of who he is, are gathered together. Along with this, the shulk or the thigh. It comes from a word meaning abundant. Thus, it is the abundant area of meat on an appendage. As it is the right thigh, it signifies the honorable side. In all that which is abundant and most honorable, that is what is being seen here. But there is more to gather. Verse 26, and from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer. The three types of bread were minutely described in Exodus 29. Every single detail of them pointed to Christ in an amazing fashion. If you don't remember that sermon, then there is today's afternoon assignment for you. These are also gathered up verse 26, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. All of the items mentioned in verses 24 and 25 are piled up on top of the right thigh. Unless one understood the symbolism, it would seem like a rather curious pile of meat, fat, and bread. But in short, it points to the abundance of Christ, the most intimate aspects of Christ, and the work of Christ, including his death on the cross. Verse 27, and he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. What is more accurate would be, and he put all these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons. The reason why is because of the type of ritual to be performed. Aaron and his sons were to open their hands and Moses would then put everything on top of their open hands. After that, they were to be waved as an offering. The word is tenufah, or wave offering. It comes from nuf, which means to wave or to move to and fro. What would happen is that Moses would take and put his hands under theirs and then make the waving motion together with them towards the four corners of the heavens, thus indicating that they were being offered to the omnipresent God. This literal filling of the hand is symbolic of the filling of the Spirit. This comes from the person and work of Christ, which is reflected in the various things piled up on their hands. What Moses is doing here is transferring his pro-temporary duties to Aaron. His muscular energy is causing them to perform their very first priestly act. It is symbolic of the transfer of all of these aspects of the life of the believer. In him, God accounts these things to us because of what he has done. In turn, we offer them back to God. Verse 28, then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering. They were a consecration offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. The items waved by the strength of Moses were then taken back by him as if Aaron and his sons were still just common people making an offering to God. They are being endowed with priestly authority, but they are not yet fully installed. 
until the completion of the rite, Moses would continue acting as a priest. The wave offering being returned to the Lord as a burnt offering and as a sweet aroma was to signify the complete submission of themselves to the Lord. As each thing in their hands only symbolizes Christ, then the true and eternal priesthood which these things foreshadow are embodied in him. His work was found acceptable, and through it he obtained a more perfect priesthood and ministry than could ever have been obtained by mere fallible fallen men and by the blood of bulls and goats. At Aaron's ordination, God looked ahead to the ministry of Christ, and he smelled a sweet savor only because of what it pictured, not because of the animal and bread burning there on the altar. Verse 29, And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration, as the Lord had commanded Moses. The word breast here is chazeh. It comes from the word chazah, which means to see, because it is the part of the animal which is most seen when looking at it from the front. That, in turn, comes from a root which indicates to gaze at and to mentally perceive as if in a vision. This particular part of the animal has special significance, picturing Christ, who is the source of all mental perception and divine vision. It was now to be waved before the Lord. In the future, it will belong to Aaron and to his sons. But for now, because Moses is the acting priest, it was assigned to him as his portion. Accepted and ready to perform our tasks for the Lord, we gladly give ourselves for this wonderful duty. Sanctified and ready for the service according to his word, robed in garments of glory and of beauty. The sacrifice has been made and we stand ready. The offering in our hands is waved before the Lord. With the mediator's hands below, our hands are steady. We are sanctified for service according to his word. We come before you, our great God. We offer our lives in your service now and always. Grant us that we will be worthy in this life we trod, never faltering throughout all of our days. Our fourth thought today is seven days he shall consecrate you. It's verses 30 through 36. Verse 30, then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. The wording here is very distinct. Umin hadam asher al hamizbeach, and from the blood that is on the altar. Despite what scholars say, this blood is not blood which was kept from before the blood was splashed and held for this purpose. Instead, Moses takes ram's blood that had already been splashed on the altar. The amount is not what's important. Rather, the fact that it had been splashed on the altar, that is what is important. There's a specific process here. Slaughter the animal. Splash the blood on the altar. Take blood from the altar to use in sprinkling. It is a confirmation that not only had the blood of the ordination ram been applied to both priest and altar, but that it was accepted by God and then returned to them with the anointing oil. In picture, it is their Pentecost moment. They had been received as acceptable and they were symbolically endowed with that acceptance, just as we receive the Spirit when we believe in Jesus Christ. No great amount of blood was necessary, and in fact, if it was a heavy amount, it would literally stain their garments. The word sprinkle here is correct. It is nazah. 
It indicates sprinkling for purification, cleansing, atonement, expiation, and so on. In this case, it is the sanctification of Aaron and his sons and their garments. Only a small amount would be needed to symbolically confirm their consecration and acceptance for duty. This is reflected by Paul's words of Romans chapter 15. There he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's accepted on the altar and returned to the person with the Holy Spirit. It is the offering which is considered acceptable, which is accepted and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 31. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. The designated parts of the ram, along with the remainder of the three types of bread taken from the basket, were to be eaten by the door of the tent of meeting. As each of those types of bread individually pictured Jesus Christ, as did the ram, the meal is symbolically a partaking of his body. As he said in the book of John, my flesh is food indeed. And he says again in the same chapter of the book of John, I am the bread of life. The sharing of it between the Lord and Aaron and his sons is intended to solidify the bond between them, Christ being he who unites the heavenly and the earthly as one. All during the week of ordination, they were being spiritually prepared for their lifelong duties as priests to the Lord. Verse 32, what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn with fire. This is the same rule as the Passover, if you remember that. It was not to be eaten on the following day. As there were seven days of ordination, it would be inappropriate to accumulate leftovers from one day to the next. Food which had gone through the night was also susceptible to corruption. This would be unacceptable to consume when considering God's holy and incorruptible nature. Further, it was exclusively to be eaten by the priests. If not, it was to be returned to the Lord by fire, not passed on to another person. If another person, not being consecrated, ate of it, it would diminish the entire ordination process because they were not so ordained. It would be, in essence, mixing the holy and the profane. And finally, if something which was devoted to a sacred use was given to someone else, they could then use it as an object of superstitious worship, something like a talisman or something. Like the Passover, which pictured Christ so well, no such thing was to happen to the holy food of the consecration, which also pictures him in every single detail. Verse 33, And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. This translation implies that they are to be inside of the holy place. This is incorrect. They are to station themselves in the courtyard where the sacrifices are made for seven days and not leave that area. Each day, the same sacrificial ceremonies were to be repeated, but they did not enter the holy place to perform priestly duties as they were not yet installed to do so. Those duties had been performed by Moses during this period. What is also obvious here is that this is speaking of the conduct of their regular lives. There are obvious reasons why they would have to leave the area, reasons we're all aware of. 
after those were tended to, they were to return to their watch in the courtyard. Verse 33 continues, for seven days he shall consecrate you. The words here are an idiom. Literally, it says, for seven days he will fill your hand. The filling of the hand is the consecration. The time period is that which indicates spiritual perfection, seven days. The he here could be speaking of Moses himself in the third person because he is the one who does the duties, or it could be referring to the Lord as the provider. Nobody's really sure which is being referred to. Verse 34, as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. These words should probably be passive. Instead of as he has done, they should read as has been done. It shows that the entire process which was accomplished on the first day was to be followed through for each day of the entire ordination. In being atoned for during all seven days, they were considered fully consecrated, and then they were able to perform the holy duties of the priesthood. Furthermore, the altar was also atoned for during this seven-day period. Only when the seventh day of atonement was accomplished would it be considered most holy. From that time on, the sacrifices upon it would be restricted to only the ordained priests. Verse 35, Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die, for so I have commanded. The words concerning day and night were not specifically stated before in Exodus 29. However, it is now made explicit that this is what is commanded. The word used to describe their time is mishmeret, and it indicates to keep watch or to guard. Thus, it is the watch of the Lord. They were to carefully guard the instructions that they had been given. Should they fail, death would be the result. As this is a time of probation, they were expected to follow through with the commands precisely. If they could not, then neither could they be relied upon to perform the more vital functions which they would be responsible for when the altar and the various offerings were deemed as most holy. And if they failed to perform properly those most holy duties, then their lives would be forfeit. And guess what? Such disastrous results are going to be seen in just two more chapters. Verse 36 finishes with these words. <clears throat> So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. The obedience of Aaron and his sons is highlighted, just as Moses' obedience has been highlighted over the past many, many chapters. The ordination process is activated, and with the turn of a page, we will truly enter into the time of the Aaronic priesthood, a priesthood that would last from about 1445 B.C. until 70 A.D., when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. But Daniel 9 tells us that there will be another temple and the priesthood will be reactivated. They've already got the implements built for it over in Jerusalem. Everything is being prepared for that time which is coming maybe during our lifetime. This is an unfortunate step which must come to pass despite the fact that the priesthood was annulled in the coming of Christ. The Aaronic priesthood came with an oath and with certainty of its eventual end. It was performed by sinful men who needed to first sacrifice for themselves before they could sacrifice for those who came to them for mediation. On the other hand, the priesthood of Jesus Christ came with an oath. It is an eternal priesthood, and it is performed by the sinless Son of God who sacrificed himself 
in order to forever purify those that come to God through him. There is an infinite difference between the two. It is one that allows all men to draw near to God in a close and personal way. The lesson of the Bible is that all men must come to God through a mediator. All men. With the coming of Christ, we are shown that he is the one and only true mediator that God accepts. All of these types and all of these shadows were given to show us this one truth. Christ is the full and final fulfillment of them all. If you're looking for a close and personal relationship with God, call on Jesus Christ and he will lead you past the altar, through the door, and even through the veil to the very throne of God. And it is all available through simple faith. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We're all going to die, every one of us, because we have sin in us. It says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us on this planet is worthy of approaching the throne of God. Not one. And we cannot even talk to God because our sins have separated us from him. That is the lesson of the Bible. There's nothing we can say that he will hear because our sins completely block out his ears from hearing. That doesn't mean that he doesn't actually hear, but he cannot respond to the prayers of a sinful person. But the Bible says, but the gift of God, wages are something you earn, a gift is something you cannot earn. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God says, you're a sinful person and I cannot accept you, but I'm giving you my son in exchange for your sins. If you will simply believe, if you'll simply call on the name of Jesus and say, I want to be forgiven because of his shed blood. All of these types and pictures will be fulfilled in you because of him. You will be reconciled to God the Father forever. The only prayer that he will ever hear from a non-believer is, I want Jesus. And after that, he will hear every prayer and he will respond to them according to his wisdom. Unfortunately, some prayers are answered with a no and some of them are answered with a wait, but some of them are answered with a yes. But the fact is he hears every single one of them from a believer in Jesus Christ. But you must call on Christ first. I want to be forgiven. I want that. It says if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. There is a place of separation where God will take all the souls that have not called on him, that are separated from him because of their sin, and they will be sent to that place for eternity. That may sound cruel and cold, but that is the just and holy and righteous nature of God. It's not him wanting that. He doesn't want it at all. In fact, he wants it so little that he sent his own son. He stepped out of eternity in order to have that reconciliation possible for us. And he says, I love you enough that you just simply have to believe. Do it today, and you will be reconciled to God for once and forever throughout all eternity. Our closing verse comes from Hebrews chapter 7. It's verses 26 through 28. It says, for such a high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, But the word of oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Wonderful stuff there. All of these types and shadows which could never save doodly squat. We're looking forward to the one that could. Great stuff. Next week is Leviticus 9, 1 through 24. Cool things are ahead. It is true. 
It's entitled, The Glory of the Lord Will Appear to You. That'll be our 13th Leviticus sermon. And I'll tell you this as I do each week. Is it raining out there? Oh, praise the Lord. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, more than you could imagine, he can wash it away and he can purify it and purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay, please do it today. Our poem today is called The Consecration of the Aaronic Priesthood. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it according to the Lord's plans. Then he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. In his duties he did not linger. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar as the Lord did submit and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver too, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar as instructed to do. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, he burned outside the camp with fire. As the Lord had commanded Moses, there outside was the burning pyre. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it according to the Lord's plans. Then he took some of the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar, again, not letting his duties linger. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. In his duty, he did not falter. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver as well, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar as the Lord to him did tell. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its off all, he burned with fire outside the camp. As the Lord had commanded Moses, surely in his duties he got the approval stamp. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar, as the Lord said. And he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat too. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar as instructed to do. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses, yes, according to his word. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it, according to the Lord's preset plans. Also he took some of the blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear. There he did it put on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons and Moses put some of the blood as was meat on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. In this task, he was careful and did not falter. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and the fat that was on the entrails, so he did do. The fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh too. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil and one wafer, and put them on the fat on the right thigh, a pile he did make. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands as well, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord, as the Lord to him did tell. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering, as per his word. They were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma, that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it 
as a wave offering before the Lord that day. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration, as the Lord had commanded Moses, as the Lord did say. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar too, and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, and on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. So he did do. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons as well, and the garments of his sons with him, as the Lord to him did tell. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the tabernacle of meeting's door, and eat it there with bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, for sure. As I commanded, saying, Yes, as I did submit, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire, just as the Lord has said. And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. Marvelous are his ways. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do. And what is the reason for this right? To make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days by and by and keep the charge of the Lord. For so I have commanded so that you may not die. So Aaron and his sons did all the things we understand that the Lord had commanded by Moses' hand. How amazing! Every detail gives us precious insights to delight, things that provide our souls with surety, that through Christ's work all things have been made right, and that our future is secure, a divine guarantee. Thank you, O oh God, for these marvelous hints of Jesus written so long ago, and yet as new as the day before our eyes. They are an anchor for the expectant souls of each of us as we await upon his return, he, our splendid prize. And because of him, we shall for all eternity give you our praise. Yes, we shall hail you, O God, because of Jesus for eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for getting me through this sermon. Thank you so much. And Lord, I want to pray for Linda and for Paul and for Kim and Nick and oh the line could go on and on for John over in Germany and Graham I think he's not been feeling well again over in Scotland we have so many people with troubles and trials and we have my beautiful wife whose knee has been bothering her for a few days and I pray that the doctors will be able to sort that out for her soon as well Lord here we are we're at we're at your you know your desire everything that happens to us is according to your will and if it should be something that's contrary to our desires, help us to endure it because you have ordained it for us. And we know that we can stand it because you have so ordained it. And certainly I pray for Isaac over in Africa as well. He's suffering greatly, Lord. May your hand be upon him and take good care of him. Lord, we commit this Lord's table to you. We praise you because of the work of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we have a sure word because every single word, every single detail that we saw from 1,500 years before the coming of Christ is fulfilled in him. So we know that we have a sure word. We know that he is the son of God, and we know that we are reconciled to God through him. Thank you for that wonderful assurance, our heavenly Father, and happy Father's Day to you now each and every day, O Lord. Amen.